God has ordained all of us to be successful. Matter of fact, in Hebrew it says, God has ordained you for greatness. And and there for years there have been great teachers on success and motivation. And years ago, I remember when I first got saved and started reading some of these things, they talked about one of the keys to being successful is how you dress. Well, in the last 30 years, dressing for success has changed. It used to be called dress for success. And how you dress to be successful has changed. You know, when I first went in the ministry, you always had to wear a suit. Every preacher wore a suit. I remember when I got my first suit, Tiz and I were so poor that we, we, we lived in Arizona and we, do, uh, we had churches down in, in Mexico, in Nogales, Sonora, and we'd, whenever we go down there, I'd get a, a suit because we could get suits for $18. Quality. Quality suits. When I got saved, I was a, I was a hippie. I didn't have any suits. I bought me a, a, a baby blue suit with pinstripes. I came home and Tiz went, oh, no. I wore that puppy every Sunday, every Sunday. But today, dressing for success on the outside has changed. That's what we're talking about. But the rules are the guidelines for dressing for success on the inside because man looks on the outside, God looks on the inside. That has never changed. So we've been going through some things that the Bible shows in their leaders how to be successful. We talked about boldness. If we're going to be successful in this last days, whether it's in the kingdom of God or in, 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 in business, we've got to be bold. The other thing we talked about was our attitude, or we called it this time joy. In Hebrew, it's called simcha. And it literally means not momentary joy, but a lifestyle of joy. The Bible says, and we talked about this, you enter into his courts with thanksgiving. You enter into his gates with praise. And what that literally means is, is this is one of the reasons why God says, when you come into my house before you pray or before you hear the word, you're to sing and you're to lift up your hands and you're to shout with the voice of triumph because it literally, when we lift up our hands or when we, when we decide to put on the garment of praise, it literally brings us into God's presence. What happens when we come into God's presence? We move from our natural wisdom into the gates of divine wisdom. Now think about this. When we decide to be happy, when we decide to praise, when we decide to rejoice in the Lord, it takes us from the limits of this world's wisdom into divine wisdom. It activates the Holy Spirit that will lead you and guide you and teach you. It also brings us into his courts. What is the court? The court is where God is sitting on the throne Jesus is on the right hand of the Father making intercession for you. Not for our salvation. We're already saved. He's making intercession for your new job and for your miracle and for your raise. The devil is there accusing us of not having faith because according to our faith, be it unto us. So if the devil attacks you and, and if, the devil, if the devil attacks me, and I go, I can't believe it. I can't. Then the devil's going, aha, look at him. 
But if the devil attacks me and I'm praising God anyway, the Lord is making intercession in the court of God and saying you got to bless him because he's showing no matter what he's going through, he still has faith. Do you get that? That's why the Bible says rejoice in the Lord. Now let me show it again. God's sitting on the throne. Your, your need is coming into his court. Jesus is your defense attorney. Satan is the prosecuting attorney. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The, our faith has evidence. Your evidence determines the court of God. So we enter into his gates of wisdom with what? Thanksgiving. Hallelujah. We enter into his courts of decision with what? I thank you, Lord, no matter what the devil does, everything the devil stole, everything the devil stole, now he has to pay it back financially, numerically, multiplied by seven. This is why the the Bible says, that's by my my favorite scripture in Romans 8, 28, is all things work together for good. How many things work together for good? So if all things work together for good, we shouldn't have a bad day. You might have a bad moment when you first get that bad news. But then you realize what Satan's meant for evil, God's going to use it. If the devil steals your job, you're going to get a better job. If the devil broke down your car, you're going to get a better car. All things work together. You know, can I tell you where I first learned that? Where I first learned that is, now this is, this is a little, little uncomfortable, but I'll tell you a story. Years and years and years ago, before I met Tiz, I met a girl in another church who I thought was the one. Now, I'm a brand new convert. I'm only a few months old, and I came in. She was born and raised in church. Her dad was a worship leader in, in, the, in the head church of our organization, and I met her, and I'm only a few months old in the Lord, and, and, and I still had long hair and tattoos, and the needle marks were still healing up. And so I, I, went, I asked her out, and she said, yeah, I went to get, ask, go pick her up. And her dad and the pastor, the head guy, said no. Said, he's not, he's not good enough for her. So I, I came to church, and my, my pastor pulled me aside, and he said, uh, uh, Larry, I'm sorry, but uh, the head guy called and said, you can't take her out, he, you know. And, 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 I, and I thought, you know, what a bummer. You know, this is, and all of a sudden, Tiz, for the first time, walked out and went, oh, hallelujah. <laughs> True story. I can't believe, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> all things work together for good. Now, that's a fact. That's a, that's a true story. <laughs> God knows. So we can rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Amen. Joshua chapter 14. So the next thing I want to talk about is, you know, what I entitled, and I preached a message like this years ago, and I looked for the message, and I couldn't find it, but I'm going to call it this anyway. It's called not only having faith, but this message is called bulldog faith. I've seen them take bulldogs and spin them. They ain't letting go. They got it. It's theirs. 
And they're not let. I've heard stories where they have to put, if a bulldog's got, and you have to put a wedge in its mouth to get that bulldog to let go. You and I need to have bulldog faith and never let go of what God promised us. Can I have an amen? Look at this great example, Joshua chapter 14, verse 6. Then the children of Judah came to Joshua and Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunai, the Kenanzianite, and said to him, You know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land which I brought back when I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land where your foot has trodden shall be your inheritance and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, as he said, these 45 years. Ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses, while Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now here I am, this day, 85 years old. As yet I am as strong this day as I was on that day that Moses sent me, just as my strength was then, So now is my strength for war, both for going out and coming in. Now, therefore, give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day. For you heard in that day how Anakim were there and the cities were great and fortified. And may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord has said. Now, we live in a, in a day and age which, which I like to call the microwave generation. We want everything and we want it now. I want patience and I want it right now. I can't wait. I can remember, this is a true story, I can remember standing in line some years ago in a McDonald's and this lady ordered something with no onions or whatever and, and the lady said, or the person behind said, well, man, that'll be about two minutes. And I remember standing, she turned to me as if I even knew her, and she goes, I thought this was supposed to be fast food. <laughs> Two minutes. Now, I don't remember this directly, uh, but I heard tales where cooking used to take hours. I even saw a thing on a stove, and I said, what is this? And they said, it's a timer. You put a, how many ladies remember those days? You put a roast in and it cooks for several hours. This lady said it'll be about two minutes. And she said, I thought this was fast food. See, we got to understand that this has become our personality, the microwave generation. We watch a television program. Let me help you with television isn't real. But I mean, it can go from world disaster to world salvation in 30 minutes. And unfortunately, because we're bombarded with this kind of thing, we think everything we face is going to be changed instantly. I gave on Sunday, go to the mailbox on Monday. Hey, it doesn't work. I love the microwave miracles. 
But sometimes to get the miracle that you're looking for, you have to have bulldog faith. Can I have an amen? Now I want to look at two principles concerning bulldog faith. Number one, in faith, and we we don't hear this taught enough, we need in faith, we need to add to our faith patience. You know, the Bible says it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Think about that. The scripture says, God says, it is what makes me happy to give you the kingdom. But then it also says, in due season. In other words, God is saying, my timing is not always your timing, but my timing is always absolutely perfect. Look at what it says in Galatians. Let us not be weary, don't get tired, in doing well. For in due season, we shall reap if we faint not, if we don't quit. Don't be weary in doing what's right, because if, everybody say if, if you don't quit, you're going to reap what God has for you in his due season. In Hebrews, it says, be not slothful but followers of them through faith and patience. Faith and patience inherit the promise so that after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. Now, what could he says? He said, he said, watch those or follow those or imitate those who that through faith and patience. You know, everybody believe, everybody believes God wants to bless them. There's a lot of people that will sow a seed. They'll, they'll hear somebody on TV saying, man, now's the time or, or whatever, and they'll sow a seed, and they never get the harvest. Why? One of the reasons is, is you got to sow a seed. That's faith. But then you have to patiently wait. Every farmer knows that a crop, if it comes out too early or too late, that crop's going to die. But if it comes out in the due season, in the perfect time, look what it says. So after he had patiently, now we hate this in the faith movement. After he patiently endured. Everybody say endure. Endure has to do with struggle. Enduring has to do with work. Enduring has to do with fighting a few battles, getting a few scars. But after we have patiently endured, he may obtain the promise. Patience, that bulldog tenacity. But I want to go stronger in this one, and this is really what I wanted to teach in, is the second aspect of bulldog uh, faith is not only patience, but persistence. Now listen to the word of persistence. The word persistent means to stand, to refuse to give up especially faced with opposition, to continue, to insistently endure, to remain constant. Persistence, to refuse to give up. When, when, it, when, it, it, when it seems like, man, if I knock my head against this wall one more time, but it doesn't matter, I'm going to knock and keep on knocking until that thing comes down. Somebody say amen. Amen. See, there's faith, but then there's persistent faith. You know, I I, I don't want to say this wrong, but everybody wants to be at the top. 
But if being at the top was easy, everybody would be there. Now, God is no respecter of persons. He wants everybody to prosper. Beloved, I would above all things that you prosper and be at hell. But you've got to have faith. You've got to have patience, believing that, that it's in God's timing. But then you have to have this persistence, which means I refuse to give up. You've all heard this story, but it's one of the greatest stories on Thomas Edison. How many know who Thomas Edison is? Was The story goes that weary to the point of exasperation, one man working with Thomas Edison sighed out loud, what a waste of time. We have tried no less than 700 different experiences and not one of them has worked. We're not one bit better off than when we started at the beginning. With an optimistic look in his eye, Edison said, you're wrong. Yes, we are. We know 700 things that won't work. We are closer than we've ever been before. Let's get back to work. Now, that sounds like a great illustration, but it's true. How many like to be a millionaire? Do you know that for every millionaire that is a self-made millionaire, they have started at least three businesses that have failed. Somebody say persistence. See, what, what, what our generation says is, faith. okay, I'm going to start something. I guess it doesn't work. For every millionaire, a person that is a self-made millionaire, they have tried three times and failed. Strike one, got back up. Strike two, got back up. Strike three, got back up. Folks, that's not just faith, that's patience and persistence. How many have ever seen that movie, Eight Seconds? If you remember one part in the movie, Lane Frost got thrown off a bull and a bull stomped him where a bull ought not stomp anybody. (laughs) Need I say more? He's laying there, obviously not feeling well. See, it's one thing to say, I'm going to be the best That's what he told everybody. I'm going to be someday, I'm going to be the world champion. But it's another thing when a bull stomps on you and you're hurting. And when he was laying there, his friend came in who also became world champion. And and Lane Frost said, said, I I, I can't do this anymore. He said, I thought you were going to be the best in the world. Yeah, but I just can't do this anymore. And his friend said, you know, sometimes you just got to cowboy up. You know, sometimes it ain't going to be easy getting to the top. Sometimes the devil's going to fight back. That's why Paul said, I run not like the rest. I want to win. He said, I fight not like one beat in the air. I can remember when I was playing football for Missouri and, 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 and all of a sudden we played, I, I don't remember who it was. We played Arkansas or Mississippi or something. I mean, we went up to a whole nother league. You know, in the league we were in, we were, we were the best. See, in the league I played in, I was bad. Then I stepped up. I remember coming off the, off the field a, a, a few minutes before halftime, and, and, and the coach said, you're wearing him down. I said, how can you tell? Is his elbows all bloody? I 
I fought, I fought, I won the Illinois Golden Gloves Championship. Won the, knocked the first guy out in my first fight in 54 seconds of the first round. Knocked him out. He was, he was picked to win a medal in the Olympics. 54 seconds of the first round of my first fight. You could hardly get the ropes apart. My head was so big. I was like 17. The kid I knocked out was like 17. But my next fight, the guy was 28. He's a big African-American guy. And he had more scars on him than I had teeth. And in those days, we had to sit next to each other, which called in the box, so that nobody would, would put stuff on their gloves or anything. So you got tape and sat in the box. Now, I knocked this little white guy out. I looked over this guy, and he looked at me, and he smiled. He had no teeth. He smiled. And I know what he's thinking. Lunchtime. Everything in me wanted to go. I have a stomachache. <laughs> Mama. But you know, I did this and found out this guy, this guy had been, been picked to go to the Olympics. Also. And I realized, you know, I got in the corner and the coach, I'm, I'm looking at this guy. I mean, this guy's got, you ever see those guys that have no fat? You know, muscle is just, you know, they just, like Terrell Owens, you know. <laughs> My coach says, he's made to order for you. I said, yeah, if I want to die. But you know what I did? That bell rang. I knew. I knew this guy was so much better than me. So much better than me. I'd get out there, you know, he'd, he'd do this. And so I said, he's killing me. So I did, the bell rang. Bing! I went, I went, ah! And knocked him out. Knocked, had no, had no idea what I was doing. Just got lucky. But had I stayed back, he'd have killed me. You understand what I'm saying? If you just get out and do it, with God, you're going to get lucky. But you got to get out and swing. Is it scary? Yeah. Does it look bigger than you? Yeah. But I'm telling you, you got to have that bulldog persistence and refuse to give up. Thomas Edison said, oh, no. We're 700 ways closer than we've ever been before. Every man in this room has seen this sign. When we would, when we would go, when we, we had it in high school when I played football. We had it in college when I played football. And as we came out, men, tell them what a sign says. It says, winners never quit and quitters. That's such a true saying. Winners never quit. Doesn't matter if you're down 50 to nothing. We've all seen people come back and win. Winners never quit and quitters never win. That's why Paul says in Philippians, he says, I press. I press towards the goal for the prize. Or I press towards the mark. He didn't say, I believed for the prize. The prize just fell on me. I was just sitting there and it just overcame me. No, he says, I press. Everybody say press. I press, I push, I struggle for the prize. Everybody wants the prize, 
But what we've got to realize is, is that the devil wants you to give up before you get that prize. You know, a, a lot of my experiences that I relate to in serving God have to do with athletics. I, you know, everything in my life before Jesus was athletics. And I remember, you know, going to college. I remember getting a scholarship to college. And, you know, it's, it's a different ball game in high school than it is in college. I remember walking into the, into the college dorm as a freshman and, and saw this guy. Matter of fact, this guy called me about a year ago. He's gotten saved and watches our program out in California. His name's Tim Luckett. Got saved, got born again. In fact, a bunch of them, a bunch of them that I played football with got together and, and called and said, is this Larry Huck? And I said, yeah. They go, the same Larry Huck? I said, yeah. They said, oh my God, the Lord can save anybody. That's why I never have any of my friends come and share the testimonies. It's, it's not a good thing. But I remember walking in there, and, and you know what? Everybody wants to play, play in, the, in the game. Everybody wants to come out in the stadium and break through the thing, and the cheerleaders are going, yay, and the fans are. But there's a lot of pain and a lot of sacrifice and a lot of blood, sweat, and tears to get to that day, you break through and come out into the stadium. And you've got to be willing to stand and do that to get to that day. Everybody wants the prize, but you've got to be willing to press towards the prize. It, that's why there's a lot of room at the top. I always say this. I said, nobody accidentally falls on a mountaintop. You've got to climb a mountain. Amen. You got to climb when you're tired. I remember when we went to college and my, my first, my first roommate and I were standing there. And if you, if you know, you, men can understand this, but when you first go to college, no matter who you are, when you go to summer camp and you're the new guy, you gotta, you gotta load the guy's bags in the bus and you gotta take all the harassment. And, and then in practice, you're nothing but a, but a bag of meat to them. I need somebody to tackle. Huck, get in there. I mean, you're bruised and bleeding. You know, you go from high school to being the big shot. But God wants, you to, God wants to move every one of you from running out of, into the high school stadium. He wants you to run into the big time. How many are ready to run into the big time? God wants to, you know, God wants to move, you, move you on up. And so I remember we're standing there after about three weeks of summer camp and you know, up in Missouri, and it's 100 degrees, and it's sweaty, and we're standing there, and, 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 and we're waiting to come in so the offense could run their, no, excuse me, the defense could run. We were, we were the ones that ran the, uh, the, the, the other team's plays against the defense, but we didn't have any defensive line to block for us. So we just have to... <laughs> So we're standing there, and I mean, we're beat up and bruised. And my roommate says to me, he goes, he goes what are we doing here? And I said, come on, man. We, he, said, he said, I can't take him. And all of a sudden, all the fraternities, you can see them over there, all the fraternities and sororities were in early to set up all their things for the freshmen. And they're all leaving to go on this party. And you can see all the guys and the gals, they're all happy going down. And they're going to go to this party. And here we are getting beat up. And, and I could see the look on his face. And he's comparing going with them and staying here. This is a true story. 
And all of a sudden, the coach goes, hey, I need one of you guys to go shag balls. Well, shagging balls was is the field goal kicker would kick all these balls through the upright. But if they went too far, they went down the hill and into a creek and woods. And that creek and woods ran all the way up past the locker room to the athletic dorm. He goes, I want one of you guys to shag balls. And my roommate goes, I'll go. So he's back there catching. All of a sudden, one goes over. He runs out. He runs down into the creek, into the woods. Never saw him again. <laughs> Disappeared. About a week, I, when I got back, his bags were packed. Yeah, everything was gone. And when I saw him about a week later on campus, I said, what happened? He said, I quit. But I'm going to tell you something. Two weeks later... The band was playing, and the cheerleaders were cheering, and the crowd was there. And we come running through, and I saw him sitting in the stands, and we, I went by, and I waved at him, and he went. And, and I'm sure he's saying, I wish I would have hung out three weeks longer. Listen, the devil may tell you, strike three, you're out. But if you, when you've done all the stands, stand, and God will show himself strong in your behalf. Somebody shout amen. Listen to this, and I close with this. Jesus said, and I read this from the Amplified, and from the days of John the Baptist till now, the kingdom of heaven has endured violent assault, but violent men have seized it, and women have seized it by force. As a precious prize, a share in the heavenly kingdom is sought for with the most ardent zeal and intense exertion. One commentator writes on this and said, the kingdom of heaven is not for those who are just well-meaning. And we're not talking about salvation. We're talking about thy kingdom come, thy will be done. But for the desperate, no one drifts into the blessings of the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven only opens its doors to those who are prepared to make great effort to get into it. Now, I'm not talking about salvation. Salvation, we're saved by grace. Can I have an amen? amen? But I'm talking about when they said, Lord, teach us how to pray. And Jesus said, when you pray, say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And if you read that in its right tense, what he's saying is when you pray, say, come, kingdom of God. Be done, will of God. Not somebody that's, 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 that's taking it lightly or drifting in, but one with authority and one with tenacity and one with that bulldog faith. Joshua and Caleb are speaking here. Forty-five years after they went in to spy out the land, the ten spies came back and said, Yes, it's exactly what God said, but we're grasshoppers. Joshua and Caleb said, We are able to take the land. Forty-five years later, Not because of anything they did wrong, but because the enemy did not want his God's children going into the promised land. Forty-five years later, Joshua and Caleb are still standing. Joshua and Caleb said, give me my mountain. As God said on that day, maybe the enemy's been holding you back for 45 days or 45 weeks or 45 months. Maybe he's been even holding it back for 45 years. And maybe it's not because of anything you did. But today, God wants you to stand and say, come kingdom of God. Be done, will of God, on earth as it is in heaven. Give me my mountain. The scripture that says in Ephesians 6, and he says, Take up 
the whole armor of God. And when you've done all the stands, stand up. And I thought it would be a great message called All Dressed Up and Nowhere to Go. Put on the whole armor of God. Put on having the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of right. You've got the armor of God. You've got it. You don't have it just to look good. You've got it because you have some place to go. And where you've got to go is up, not down. Somebody say amen. amen. Give me my mountain. What mountain is it that you need to claim today? Has the devil tried to get you to stop believing? Has the devil tried to get you to slow down? Has the devil tried you to get you to settle for something inferior? Well, give me my hill. Give me my little speed bump. No, God's got a mountaintop for you. I want you to close your eyes and bow bow your heads with me just for a moment here. And I want you to think about what it is. The promise, 45 years later, Caleb says, give me my mountain. Is there a promise that God has given you that the devil has not allowed you to see yet? I want you to claim it right now. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed and no one's looking around, how many say, Pastor, I want the devil's tried to steal my dream. He's tried to steal my vision. He's tried to get me to settle for second best. But today I make a stand. Give me my mountain. And I'm claiming it right now in the name of Jesus. Lift your hand up all over the building and say, It may be in my home, my marriage, hands are going up everywhere. You're watching by television. Give me my mountain. Give me my mountain. I want to ask you to put your hands down and keep your heads bowed and eyes closed just for a moment. You're here right now. Can I tell you something? God has a life. God has a victory. God has a blessing beyond anything you could imagine. But I have to be honest, that starts with Jesus Christ. This is is what gives us our faith, is knowing that Jesus has already paid the price for it. And it's not having faith in our ability, but it's having faith in what he paid for by his blood. We're talking about not giving up your mountain. And you know why it's so easy for me to teach that? Because I can tell you absolutely 100%, no matter who you are, God has not given up on you. The world may have given up on you. Maybe you even have given up on yourself. But today, through Jesus Christ, you can be born again and a whole new life and a whole new destiny. As every head is bowed, every eye is closed, no one's looking around just for a moment. You're here right now and you'd say, Pastor Larry, I know God hasn't given up on me. And right where you're at, you want to give your life to Jesus. You've never been born again, or maybe you have, but You need to rededicate your life to Jesus. It would be such an honor to allow me to, for you to allow me to pray with you. So as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, you want to give your life or you need to rededicate your life to Jesus. I want to ask you to put your hand up all over this building and just hold it there for a moment where I can see it. I see that hand. Please keep it up. I see that hand. No one's looking around. That hand, that hand, that hand. I see that hand, that hand, that hand, that hand, that hand, that hand. I see that hand, that hand. Just keep it up, please. I see that hand, that hand, that hand, that hand, that hand, that hand. Don't pass it out, guys, until we're quite done with this. That hand, that hand, that hand. I see that hand, that hand, that hand, that hand. 
I see that hand. Keep it up real high, please. I see that hand, that hand, that hand, that hand, that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand, that hand, that hand, that hand. I see that hand, that hand, that hand. Up in the balcony, I see that hand, that hand, that hand. I see that hand. Give these people a great big clap offering and tell them you love them. Would you stand with me all over the building? And I'm, I know if you have to leave, but I'm going to ask you to stay until we pray because it's so important that we come in agreement. But if you raised your hand, or maybe you didn't, just to, just to make a stand with you, I want to ask you to come out of your seat and come and meet Tiz and I and come and meet the, some of the members of this church. Just You raised your hand. Come on down right now. Give them a great big clap offering and give us just a few moments. Just give us a few moments. Up in the balcony, come on down. Here in your seat, come on down. Come on, give them a great big God bless. Amen. What are you singing? Sing it. Would you lift up your hands and worship the Lord as these are coming? Just give us a moment to let God touch people's lives. Amen. Come on down. Come on down. Never let me go. If there's someone next to you, just invite them down. If you're in the balcony, come on down. If you raise your hand, we wouldn't embarrass you for the world. But what a wonderful time to stand together before the Lord. Amen. No one else will do. What's your name, brother? Good to meet you. God bless you. Because nothing else could take your place. Feel the warmth of your Here's what I want to ask you to do. I want to ask you to lift your hands up and cover these people with divine blessing, divine covering, family covering. And let's all say these words out together. And even though we're saying them together, we're speaking them to the Lord. Say this out loud. Say, Father, I come to you right now in the name of Jesus. I know I've sinned. We've all sinned. But I know this. You love me so much. You sent Jesus Christ to pay the price in full for all my sin. Right now, I receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior. Now say this with authority. Satan, get out of my life. Get out of my mind. Get out of my spirit. Get out of my body. Get out of my home. My family. My finances. My future. I declare in the name, by the blood, every curse, every family curse, every generational curse is broken and reversed. Joy is mine. Peace is mine. Happiness is mine. Forgiveness is mine. It's all mine. It's all mine. Not someday, but today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Now give the Lord a great big clap offering.